You are about to enter a new dimension in sound. Woo. That, was, that was a journey. Hang on a sec. Who can't God. find their links? Uh, no, I, I I had it, but it just didn't connect for some reason. So I had to, I wanted to resend, but as soon as I hit it, it was we're good to go. Well, this is your topic, so you better be here, <laughs> <laughs> Michael. Oh, I'm going to ask you first why you, you chose why you chose Def Leppard as the topic for for today's podcast. Oh, uh, well, I chose I chose Def Leppard because I thought they owned the '80s. Honestly, when I think about rock bands, anyway. Uh, I thought Def Leppard was, I mean, there's all the stories of, 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 of uh, the drummer losing his arm and all that kind of stuff. It just seemed to occupy the headlines. But most of all, uh, the, the couple of hit songs, particularly Pour Some Sugar On Me, stand out in my mind as as being absolute gems from, I mean, you couldn't get away from them. They were everywhere. And that's and when you can't get away from a band, that tells you something. <laughs> but you made a comment saying rock bands. So I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to tell you that Michael Jackson and Phil Collins owned the eighties, but that's another story. Oh, okay. So that, yes. I'm specifically speaking of rock. Band, uh, yeah, so. I know you were thinking about rock band. So let's start yep. at the beginning. Bobby R rock is here. Ladies and gentlemen, he does not go by the name mutt. No. Well, Hey Bobby. How you buddy? How you buddy? Michael. I miss hey. you. Good I know. I miss you too, pal. We're back in order again here. Finally. We are. <laughs> So we're going to start at the beginning. Uh, okay, the band starts in the 70s, yada, yada, yada. But 1980, On Through the Night. Did did either of you listen or pay attention to On Through the Night by the band um, in, in the early 1980s? We'll start with you, Michael, because you're like 85 years old, so you probably had the record or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking that we were big in 85. Oh, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you got that. Yeah, yeah. Right. But did you... No, did I, you I, I, Listen to the record at all, or was it something? Did you find Def Leppard in 1980 uh, at all, or no? I I found Def Leppard with um, Photograph. Yeah, that so many years later. Many years later, yeah, yeah, and and uh, at that, I mean, at that point, that to me was it. Just it was devastating. It was just like this is this is the band that's going to rule for a few years. You just knew it as soon as you heard that that record. I can't remember the first song off of that. Was it Diver Down? I can't remember the name of that first record. Well, we're going to get to On Through the Night is the, is the record that came out in 1980. But oh, okay. So it, went to number, it went to number 15 in the UK. Okay. Right. But it didn't go anywhere else. So don't feel bad that you didn't know many songs from it. Hello, America was a song. And it's funny because a lot of people criticized Def Leppard because they were from the UK. And you could clearly tell they wanted to be an American band. In fact, they changed the name. Well, they didn't change the name. They changed the spelling of Def Leppard. So it more lined up with Led Zeppelin, if you think about it. Oh, well thank done. you. Thank you for noticing that, that Shane. Great. Uh, but they wrote the song Hello America. And a lot of people were on them saying, oh, you guys want to go to America. We understand because that's where all the money is at the time was America. So right. but on through the night, it had songs like Wasted, Rocks Off. Uh, Rock Brigade, which they played once in a while, but truly one of my favorites. It is. It really is. Rock Brigade and, Ra and Wasted were were pretty much the only two songs I think the band actually would play live after they got more popular. So let's talk. Why did you like Rock Brigade? What, what was about that? Oh my gosh, it was just you know just your solid rock song. Like the, it had everything, and I mean I go back to the voice. Uh, you know, Joe, Joe Elliott's voice, the range, 
And the song's super catchy. So on that album, Joe Elliott was obviously lead vocals. Uh, Steve Clark was playing rhythm guitar at the time. Pete Willis was uh, lead and rhythm guitars. Well, Steve Clark played lead as well, but Rick Savage on bass and Rick Allen on drums, because of course the lineup does change. I never knew of this album, to be honest with you. Um, didn't even register with me. I have heard Rock Brigade, and I think they played that during the stadium tour, which neither of you showed up at, by the way, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. Uh, Michael, no comment. Nothing is. Are we done with the? Uh, are we done with on through the night? Because there's not. Sure, a lot to discuss. Let's move on. Okay, hi, hi, high and dry. Love that's it. the one. I, I was about to say hang and high and dry, but that's a uh, Brighton Rock thing. Anyway, high and dry was the second album that came out July 6, nineteen eighty one. Uh, produced by Robert John Mutt Lang. This is when the band finally got noticed here in America. Bringing on the Heartbreak, I think, was the big single from that album. But, Bobby, let's go to you and uh, your thoughts on High and Dry. Oh, I mean, again, it, it's a great album, but I think, well, especially like a song like Let It Go, Bringing on the Heartbreak, like you said, they're still a part of their their set list, like to, to this day. Um I, I think that Def Leppard uh, was able to have multiple lives in their career. And those yeah. two that we're talking about are more of a straight up rock and roll band. And as we get on into the 80s now, their sound and, and everything has changed for them. And it was great timing, but we'll get into that. You know, what was interesting and the reason I do know some of this is because I watched behind the music last night. And I couldn't believe that the band was so out of control with drugs and alcohol. I, I mean, I knew that some of the band members were, but clearly all of them were at this point in their career. And uh, Michael, what were you a, a fan of high and dry when it came out, came out, like I said, in 1981. Yep. I was because Let It Go was to me. Uh, so when when we started as as Glass Tiger, we were a band called Tokyo, and we were doing uh, what? Not only did we did did we do like hits uh, from the early '80s, but we also did the songs that we loved. Like we we loved the Babies. The Babies were a big band in our minds, and we so we did a lot of tunes from them. But uh, Let It Go resonated with me right away, and I brought it to the band, and, uh, and we did that live for a couple of years. And I just thought it was the most amazing song. And right away, even though it wasn't their biggest song ever, I was completely hooked. I thought it was a fantastic record. It, it, and that, that single particularly kind of resonated with all of us. So it was an album, Pete Willis's last full, full album with the band, and it went to number 38 on the Billboard 200 charts and 26 in the UK. And what else can I tell you? Have, have you ever heard the song Me and My Wine? No. Yeah, that, that's that a great was, so, so Bobby knows it. Bobby knows it. <laughs> a remix version um, made the B-side to Bringing on the Heartbreak. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just a little bit of information that you can take with you this evening wherever you may wander. All right. <laughs> So, Bobby, let's uh, anything else about high and dry? I kind of just started getting into 
Def Leppard a little bit because of Bringing on the Heartbreak. That was the song that kind of resonated with uh, me and obviously the biggest one from the album. Well, exactly. And and when, you know, it, it's that typical kind of train, I guess, with those, the big bands that ended up hitting really big. Um, you know, they have their first couple albums where they kind of dabble. They've got a, a couple hit singles. And then as we're going to get into, they absolutely explode. So, um, you know, this album, you know, outside of the one single they had in the previous album, now we're getting into a couple real big hits. And uh, here we go. And here yeah. we go with... with um... And and some people go back and forth their favorite album of the '80s, but Pyromania remains that for a lot of people. Obviously, some great songs. Photograph being the first one. I don't know who would have taken a photograph of Michael uh, in in, in, the, in the year 1983. However, um, Too Late for Love was on the album. Rock of Ages, Fool Him, and this really, if I remember correctly, was my introduction to the band on Much Music, or if you were in the states, probably MTV because they played these songs over and over and over. So Bobby, we're going to start with you pyromania. And when you thought, uh, or when you kind of got introduced to that and your thoughts of the album and some of the songs on it. Well, now we're getting into videos, right? Where, you know, uh, now we're getting into where, you know, videos have, have uh, contributed to making songs as big as they are. So, you know, I just remember seeing, these young guys in in the Union Jack tops and short short shorts. <laughs> I'm going. You what, are those like Cable Fest, the short shorts. <laughs> you got it. That's where I got it from. <laughs> uh, and I I heard a story. I don't know if it's true, but I heard that Joe Elliott uh, kind of stumbled into that look because he was looking for something to wear at a photo shoot. And this was something that just off the cuff, he goes, ah, you know, I'm just going to throw this on. And, and <laughs> wow, like what, what a great decision because that really, that look made them stand out. So I mentioned it came out in 83 and uh, Mutt Lang produced this one as well. And I think this really was one of those albums that put him at the forefront of producers. And we'll let Michael tell his story of, of, of this album and maybe some of his favorites from it. And when kind of you first heard, um pyromania yeah i mean uh i remember i was still with my high school sweetheart at that time uh and uh, uh that was the first time i heard photograph when i heard photograph i thought i'd died and gone to heaven because it was a it was an amalgamation of, of of great rock and roll but the harmonies oh man the harmonies are great you know my uh favorite my favorite harmonies in any song that I've ever heard is "New Kid in Town" by the Eagles, and uh, but and, and but when I heard "Photograph," I thought, "Oh, this is insane!" It was just so beautifully put together. Of course, "Fool" was a huge song, "Rock of Ages." So this is the re this is the record to me. Even though "Let It Go," we had kind of just you had to kind of discover "Let It Go" on that first on that on that previous record. Right. Uh, but but for this record, Photograph was a massive hit. I can only imagine how, how well it did. But uh, for me, it seemed like it, it seemed like it went to number one everywhere. <laughs> it just exploded onto the stage. And again, I thought the harmonies were absolutely brilliant. I thought Mutt Lang. By the way, does anybody know why they called him Mutt? 
Um, because he had a dog. No, I have no idea. I have to look that up. <laughs> Maybe someone. Yeah. Do we have a producer on the show? Can they, uh, probably not. <laughs> I have no idea why they call them Mud Lang. Actually, it's yeah, a good question. I, the The album I can tell you went to number two on the Billboard yeah. Hot 200 chart, but right. a lot wow. of people, a lot of people love the album. But it was kind of the first couple of albums were like heavy rock, were they not? Like. Compared yep. to Pyromania, which really played to radio, right? I think, and, I think, yeah, I think, I think they were the first anthem bringers. They, they I think they were the original anthem guys. The, these, these guys. When I think of it, I can't unless you and Bobby can come up with another band that brought serious. I mean, you wouldn't say Black Sabbath or um, ACDC. You know, it, it's, it's, it's these guys brought the rock anthem to radio where everybody knew the damn song. And then it just went up from there, as you know. But Don't I thought it started. Don't forget me when. <laughs> that, no, that's a pop anthem. <laughs> oh, that's a pop anthem. Okay, <laughs> fine. Um, but yeah, so this yeah. was more of a commercial uh, route for the band. Dude, Obviously, yeah, they played so. into to much music and to MTV in the States yeah. for, for their videos. And they did a lot of live video shoots right like they were like live concert type things which i th i think really brought the essence of the band although i thought joe elliott looked kind of like a a, a, a fool oh, <laughs> early on he got the like he uh, like a nerd did yeah, did he I look did. like a f -f -f fool Foolin. yeah he did that's right you got it <laughs> um that's on this album as well too late for love i really enjoy that song as well uh, on the album so uh bobby any other final words on the album pyromania from the band deaf leopard i i really do think this is another way this was before the big change but this was another yeah. way that they really stood out in that rock form of um the backup vocals like michael was saying i don't think there's I really don't think at the time there's another band, a rock band that that had backup vocals like that. I, I really don't. And this That's is what incredible. set them apart. And going forward, like we'll say, that is kind of what they hung, kind of hung their hat on. Yeah. Plus, I think they were the big they were the first band to bring the gigantic snare sound. Photograph. Boom. Boom, boom, it's just massive. I mean, I think Mutt Lang's uh, claim to fame with Def Leppard would have been two things. It was the the sort of chorus of anthem vocals, which he was a brilliant uh, producer at uh, bringing that about, uh, but also that gigantic snare sound. You know, it sounded like it was a hundred guys playing one snare drum, and it and it kind of changed, and that kind of caught on for a few years after that. Uh, and it got out of hand eventually, <laughs> but with, with sampling and stuff, I think. But but uh, they brought that whole thing, and that, they were the first to do it. Okay, so in the year 1987, I was 18 years old. I was dating a girl by the name of Renee Parado. This album came out called Hysteria. And I remember going up to wherever. Oh. They had a cottage somewhere. And I remember they had, because they had all kinds of money, they had, like, boats, and they had four-by-four things and they had like jeeps and i just remember being in a jeep out uh in the country up north and having hysteria the album blaring and there was nothing on this album but hit after hit woman i don't know why they released that first i think 
rocket animal love bites pour some sugar on me armageddon it hysteria obviously like it, it just blew my mind that this band put out an album and of course this was kind of after uh the rick allen incident and all that that it took a long time to put this album out but i just want to point some things out before i get your opinion uh both so hysteria was certified 12 times platinum uh, in the u.s and canada sold over 25 million copies worldwide by itself wow and just on a side note def leopard sold has sold more than 100 million records worldwide uh two are diamond certified pyromania and hysteria but hysteria for me because of my age and you're always thinking of music at the time that you know where you were in your life who was in your life things you were experiencing to me this album brought i mean fun energy sexuality like all these great things when you're like an 18 year old kid so bobby let's start with you and uh your memories of the album hysteria well a huge sound change right and uh you know in like yeah. you uh you know to the fact of rick allen basically having to learn how to play drums a different way and i think this timing couldn't have been better for a sound change like this um because you know when you know the poisons of the 80s they had the, the reverse snare you know yeah <laughs> like it was acceptable right like yeah. Yeah, no one's going to, no one at this point is going to go, oh, that, well, that doesn't sound like real drums because nothing at the time really did. It was huge. It was big. And, and Def Leppard comes with, you know, th this different sound and the drums were, you know, all triggered and, and stuff. And it just skyrocketed. But, but, but you, you hit the nail on the time. head. There were so many bands that were doing this in 1987 with triggered drums electronic drums as michael would know the simmons drums right all of those things so it was perfect timing for this to happen where it didn't seem like something was wrong it seemed like it was right and michael your thoughts uh because obviously being a drummer yourself uh and him you know rick allen having to relearn how to play drums with his feet for the most part i gotta i gotta tell you like when this album in particular came out I have mixed feelings about a lot of stuff with Def Le Leppard, and that's why I brought it up originally, why, why I wanted to talk about it. it. This is a band that, this is a band that ripped open the anthem idea. And, and uh, as far as Rick Allen goes, like, let's start with that. That's a story in itself. This guy going through the accident he went through and then coming back and doing what he did is, I, I gotta say, he is a better man than I. I, I thought when, when I heard about that as a drummer, it went through my head for six months. I would, I, I, it went rip, ripping through my head every single day. I was going, Oh my God, this actually happened to this guy. Look what he did. And then you watch the guy drag himself out of the mud and come back and do that. And I'm thinking, what, <laughs> what kind of dedication does this guy have? To, to his music because I I, I would have I probably would have become a shoe salesman. I, I just I just I just I'm amazed by it and I always admired him for that. And I thought that what he pulled off in regards to what he did was innovative and amazingly brave. And uh, you know, and then when you look at the record that they come up with, I mean, it, I'm looking at it right here. Uh, 
love bites, hysteria, pour some sugar on me. Uh, it just, it never ends. How many hits can you have on one record that are going to resonate with the planet? I mean, th right. this, this record was more than huge. It was abs absolutely off the charts. So, you know, uh, you know, my hat's off to the, the dude and the, and the band. It, they were, they really changed everything about the ages. And as far as my mixed feelings go, I always felt that they were a bit, oh, and this is the, and I'm not being negative here. I love what they did, but I always thought they were a bit over the top on the formula. You know, when you got a formula that works, you know, great, go for it. But you have to be, you know, as Gene Simmons once said, be a fearless songwriter. And I, I think Def, Def Leppard really at that time, probably in a response to what happened, created formula stuff. I don't know when, when exactly he had the accident. Maybe that's not the exact case. But I thought it was a, it was a very formulaic album, but at the same time, brilliant in as much as it was hit after hit after hit. And you can't complain about that. So I know Bobby's got to go because he's going to jump out of an airplane soon. But I want to say one thing. There are two <laughs> songs on the album to me that were not hits, but could have been hits. Uh, it's just that they had so many from the album Two, uh what, what I would call sleepers that were just a, don't shoot shotgun and love and affection are absolute knockout songs by that wow album. and i haven't even heard them i only listened to the hits yeah <laughs> oh, amazing really? bobby you know what? i just want to make a point imagine where the hell are you outside like is there like yeah. what, what are you doing imagine what no. would have sounded like if rick allen didn't lose his arm like like seriously yeah my cut note yeah you're yeah cutting. you cut out there I know you have to go. Oh, sorry. Oh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. But if you have to sorry, go, Robbie, uh, Bobby, what, oh, what were you saying there, buddy? I can carry on. I I do want to make a point. As long as I'm not uh, cutting out here, you're good. No, you get in your car and you drive while you're talking on the phone and do all no, these. No, I'm things not driving. You I, normally I've got do. Chauffeur. Um, I do want to make. <laughs> now he's cutting it. Anyway, whatever. Uh, Bobby's left the building. I don't know where he's going. Oh, uh, poor so guy. I, he was in the middle of a really big point there. I was yeah, enjoying He was that. in the middle of a big point, but he's got a lot of big points that are going nowhere anyway. So <laughs> this is not unusual. So let's wrap it up, Michael. So so it was your choice to do this, this band. Um, obviously, they put a brand new record out. Uh, recently, which which I thought had some pretty good songs on it, but let's face it, this band went through the '90s. Uh, they put a record out called Slang, which they had to kind of play to the whole grunge thing. A lot of people didn't like that, but th they've kind of ebbed and flowed right through until today, and of course on the stadium tour. So, one final comment, I guess, from you on the band and what kind of they represented to you. Yeah. So, so, um, and the reason that I have a love hate relationship with Def Leppard. Uh, uh, maybe one reason was that my ex dated Rick Savage, but that really is, doesn't really play into the whole thing. <laughs> uh, the, 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 uh, the, the whole thing with these guys is that they were a formula anthem band sticking to a formula. And after a while, it started to be a formula to me. And that's the negative side. And that's the part that I didn't like after a few songs, after too many songs, by the time pour, pour Some Sugar on Me came out, 
I was like, oh, okay, I, I understand this gigantic production thing. Mutt Lang stuck to the same production schedule in regards to how he handled it. And I wish they had it branched off and become a little more fearless because I believe that they had it in, the, in them to do greater things than what they did. But you can't complain about hit songs and multi-millions of dollars. If right. that's where you're going, this band was number one, and they did actually change the way that we thought about music. And a lot of the production standards from Mutt Lang uh, were, I mean, the production that he did, you can't discount it because it was absolute genius. This is a great band, great hit songs. My favorite was Love Bites of all the songs. I loved it. So then what's the difference, and maybe there isn't any, between this and what Quincy Jones did to Michael Jackson? Because yeah. to me, that was a formulated hit-making machine. Now, he did have some songs that people went, wow, that's Michael Jackson. That that's that's different, but I don't know. I think at that time in the eighties, we're talking between eighty four and eighty eight. Yeah, the formula get, worked. And even if you I were get, a, a glam rock metal band, what did you do? Yeah. At least a fucking yeah. ballad, because that's what yeah. radio wanted. That's what worked, right? Right. And I can tell you the difference between that that mentality and the Michael Jackson mentality. Michael Jackson mentality was still fearless songwriting. He would go from beat it into a ballad and blow your mind. And they would be completely different. I mean, you had the standards of sampling and all that stuff coming into the 80s, which changed things. But he never, they never stuck to that bing, bing, ba, 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 bang sort of great anthem thing that, that uh, uh, Dev Leppard relied on after a while. And I, as, again, I'm not being negative because it, they, changed, they changed rock. And they, as I said, I thought as a rock band, they owned the the 80s and uh and god bless them for that because they changed everything but i think that michael jackson and uh quincy jones were a little bit more fearless in their songwriting uh you know correct me if i'm wrong but that's where i stand on that okay so we did the last one we did was aerosmith so that's a rock band oh hell yeah my favorite def leppard is a rock band but kind of found their way in the pop space a little bit with top yeah. radio so why don't the next one that we do why don't we do michael fucking jackson of the 80s oh hell and let's yeah just let's go like all out with michael hell yeah buddy let's right? do it and i'm i'm there with you man i will study up this time <laughs> i love michael and i love you michael and bobby i don't love him thank god because he's gone no no he's kind of out of bobby we're we out don't of know bobby. where he we're went with bobby right now between the fucking both of you you're late coming and he's early going <laughs> anyway <laughs> okay my brother i love you man all of our loyal listeners we got a ton of uh, downloads and it's been a lot of fun this is the all ladies rock and talk podcast i'm shane christopher neal thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you next time all right cheers michael jackson baby see you buddy that was perfect thank you my friend i learned it by watching you This is Darkade.